Section 26 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 6, Part 6. It is true that I did not at the time look at what was going on in this light with such certainty as this. It was only for a few moments that doubts of this sort woke up in me, and then I took all possible pains to chase them away. I attempted to persuade myself that the mysterious thing called reasons of state, a thing elevated above all private reason, and particularly my own poor faculties, was a principle on which the life of states depends, and I began a zealous study of the history of Shelswig Holstein in order to arrive at a conception of the historic rights, which it was the object of the present proceedings to maintain. And then I discovered that the strip of land in dispute had, as early as the year 1027, been ceded to Denmark, so in reality the Danes are in the right. They are the legitimate kings of the country. But then, 200 years later, the district was made over to a younger branch of the royal house, and then ranked rather as a fief of the Danish crown. In 1326, Shelswig was given over to Count Gerard of Holstein, and the constitution of Waldemar provides that it should never again be so far united with Denmark that there should be but one lord. Oh, then the right is still on the side of the allies. We are fighting for the constitution of Waldemar. That is quite correct, for what is the use of these securities on paper if they are not to be upheld? In the year 1448, the constitution of Waldemar was again confirmed by King Christian I. So there can be no doubt that there must and shall never again be one lord. What is the protocol prince to do in the matter? Twelve years later, the ruler of Shelswig dies without issue, and the estates of the country meet at Ripon. It would be well if we always knew with such exactness when and where the estates met. Well, it was in 1460 at Ripon. And they proclaim the king of Denmark, Duke of Shelswig, in return for which he promises them that the countries shall remain together forever undivided. This makes me again a little confused. The only point to hold by is that they shall remain together forever. But the confusion goes on constantly increasing as this historical study takes a wider circuit. For now, in spite of the formula forever undivided, the word forever plays an exquisite part generally in political business. There commences an everlasting cutting up and division of the territory amongst the king's sons and a reunion of these under a seceding king and the founding of new families. Holstein Gotterp and Shelswig Sonderberg, which with reciprocal shuffling and sessions of their shares again separate themselves into families of Sonderberg Augustenberg, Back Glucksburg, Sonderberg Glucksburg, Holstein Glucksdott. In short, I no longer knew where I was. But there is more to come. Perhaps the historical claim for which the sons of our country have to bleed today may not have been established till later. Christian IV mixed himself up in the Thirty Years' War, and the imperialists and Swedes invaded the duchies. Now was made, at Copenhagen, 1658, another treaty, by which the lordship over the Shelswick portion was secured to the house of Holstein Gotthard. And so at last we have got done with the Danish feudal lordship. Done with it forever, thank God. Now I find myself again all right. But what happened by the patent of 22nd August, 1721? Simply this. The Gotterp's dominion of Shelswig was incorporated into the Kingdom of Denmark. In January 1773, Holstein also was ceded to the Royal House of Denmark, the whole ranked now as a Danish province. That changes the affair. The Danes are in the right. Yet not entirely so. 
The Congress of Vienna, in 1815, declares Holstein to be a part of the German Bund. This, however, vexes the Danes. They invent the cry, Denmark up to the Eider, and struggle for the complete possession of Schleswig, called by them South Jutland, against which the hereditary right of Augustenburg was employed as a watchword and used in German national proclamations. In the year 1846, King Christian writes a public letter in which he proposes the integrity of the entire state as his object, and against this, the German countries protest. Two years later, the complete union is announced from the throne, no longer as an object, but as a fait accompli, and then the uprising occurs in the German countries. And now the fighting begins. At first, the Danes gain the victory in one fight, next the Schleswig-Holsteiners in a second. Then the German Bund intervenes. The Prussians occupy the heights of Dupel, but that does not terminate the strife. Prussia and Denmark make peace. Schleswig-Holstein has now to fight the Danes single-handed and is struck down at Eidstedt. The Bund now calls on the revolters to discontinue the war, which they proceed to do. Austrian troops take possession of Holstein, and the two duchies are separated. So what has become of the paper stipulation to be forever united? Still, the situation is not made completely secure. Now I find a protocol of London, 8th May, 1852. It is a good thing that we always know so exactly the date when these fragile treaties are made, which secures the secession of Schleswig to Prince Christian of Glucksburg. Secures is good. And now I know, at any rate, the origin of the name Protocol Prince. In the year 1854, after each duchy had received a constitution of its own, both were Danized. But in 1858, the Danization of Holstein had to be revoked again. And now this historical sketch is coming quite close to the present time, and yet it is not so clear to me to whom the two countries rightly belong, or what was the precise cause of the outbreak of the present war. On 18th November, 1858, the famous Fundamental Law for the Mutual Relations between Denmark and Schleswig was passed by the Reichsrath. Two days afterwards, the king died. With him again was extinguished a family, that of Holstein Gluckstadt, and when the successor of the monarch presented himself on the scene in reliance on the two-days-old law, Frederick of Augustenburg, a family I had nearly forgotten, raised his claim, and together with his nobility turned for support to the German Bund. The latter at once occupied Holstein with Saxon and Hanoverian troops and proclaimed Augustenburg Duke. Why? But Prussia and Austria were not of accord in this proceeding. Why? That I do not to this day understand. It is said the London Protocol had to be respected. Why? Are these protocols about things which concern us absolutely nothing so exceedingly to be respected that we must defend them at the price of the blood of our own sons? If so, there must lie in the background some mysterious reason of state for it. It must be firmly held as a dogma that what the gentlemen round the green table of diplomacy may decide is the highest wisdom, and has for its aim the greatest possible advance of the power of one's country. The London Protocol of 8th May, 1852, had to be maintained intact. But the Fundamental Law of Copenhagen of 13th January, 1863, had to be abolished, and that within 24 hours. On that hung Austria's honor and welfare. The dogma was a little hard to believe, but in political matters, almost more willingly than the religious, the masses allowed themselves to be led by the principle of the quia absurdum. They have renounced beforehand the attempt to reason and understand. When the sword is once drawn, nothing more is necessary than to shout hurrah and press hotly on to victory. Besides that, all that is necessary is to invoke the blessings of heaven on the war. 
For so much is certain that it must be the business of the Almighty to see that the protocol of the 8th May is maintained and the law of 5th November repealed. He must conduct the matter so that the precise number of men bleed to death and villages are set on fire that are necessary in order that the family of Gluckstadt, or that of Augustenburg, should rule over a particular spot of earth. What a foolish world, still in leading strings, cruel, unthinking. Such was the result of my historical studies. End of section 26.